Well, once again, it's great to be back. I had a wonderful vacation. Florida's a great place. Of course, that's also where my grandkids are and my kids, and so that makes it even better. Uh, Mickey and Minnie say hi, by the way. We did see them, so uh, we bring greetings from them. And I haven't had a chance to say it to you, so uh, Happy New Year. How about that? In fact, I even came up with a slide to kind of, let's see what we've got here. There it is. See, isn't that cute? We'll, uh, we'll keep that going on for the rest of the, at least this week and next week as well. Because uh, let me tell you what's coming up. In a couple of weeks, beginning in January 26th, we're going to start a series. It's an eight-week series, and it's called Growing Up is Hard to Do. Okay? We're going to talk about growing up in Jesus Christ, why we need to, how we do it. It'll take us right up to Palm Sunday, believe it or not. That's how early Easter is going to be. But for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this, how to have a happier new year, okay? I don't know if you want to call them resolutions. Resolutions, you've probably broken all your resolutions, haven't you, already? I mean, I made a resolution many years ago that I would never again make a resolution, and so far I've kept that one. It was easy to do. Um, But... We want to talk about how to have a happier, based on the Word of God, just a couple of very practical kind of sermons for the next two weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about reducing frustration and stress, okay? How to reduce frustration and stress. That that would give you a happier New Year, wouldn't it? Today, we're going to talk about, ready, three steps towards relational harmony, and that would make it a happier New Year, wouldn't it? I mean, it's our relational disharmony, the struggles that we have with people around us that sometimes really make life miserable. Well, today we're going to take a look from the Word of God, just three simple steps for relational harmony. And this comes out of actually my small group study. We've been meeting on Wednesday nights with a small group, and we started studying the book of James. And the book of James, phenomenal book, but very different book, I have to warn you. It's not a theologically deep book at all. In fact, it's pretty theologically shallow, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't like it. Because it doesn't anywhere in there talk about, you know, how we need to give our lives to Jesus Christ and how he died. There's nothing like that on there. It is a practical book written by the half-brother of Jesus that says, now, straighten up, not heads, and here's how you do it. So it's really in your face. And it's just one thing after another like that. As we were studying this, I thought, you know, there's one passage in here that we really need to take to heart. And it's those three steps. Watch for them as we read the word right here. Ready? My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, this is interesting, by the way, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. He kind of equates the fact that we don't listen, we talk a little too much, and we lose our tempers to moral filth. I mean, it's based, he says, get rid of moral filth, and he goes back to that. That's what the therefore is there. Therefore, based on what I just told you about listen, Don't talk so much and don't become... Then he equates it to, you know what? Maybe some of the moral filth we have in our lives is because we're not listening. We're talking too much and we're losing our temper. I like the way the message puts it right here. Ready? Post this at all the intersections, dear friends, okay? Lead with your ears. 
follow with your tongue and let anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. Now, that's, that's the message. That's just the way they like to put stuff, you know, just right there, everyday language. So let's find out if you were actually listening. What are the three steps to relational harmony? What are they? Step one would be? Step two would be? Okay, step three would be? There it is. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. There's the sermon. Congratulations. Go home, right? No, sit right there. I haven't preached for, what, three weeks. I have three sermons in here, so get comfortable. No. Here's what I want to talk about. First of all, this relational harmony, because that's that what makes life so difficult is when you're, when you're struggling with another human being, a friend, a loved one, somebody you work with. This is so practical from the Word of God. We just have to learn to do it. So here it is, ready? Step one. Take time to really listen. Now, the reason I put it this way is listening takes time. Okay? And we're going to talk about being honest with your time in just a moment. Listening is going to take time out of your day. And some of us have jam-packed our days so much that there is no time to listen. We're moving from one thing to another. Trust me, I am an expert at that. If we're going to listen, we have to take. Now, this is what the Bible says. Let the wise, what? Listen. Wow. And add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. Let the wise listen. Hmm. (laughs) You know, listening is not an easy thing to do if you want to do it well. To really do it, you're going to have to do this. Ready? Here it is. You have to, what we say, be in the moment. If you really want to listen to somebody, whether you're listening to me right now or you're listening to somebody else a little bit later on in the day or throughout this week, you must be in the moment because if you ain't where you are, you're nowhere. You have to be right here listening. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to, as a matter of fact, let me tell you, I'm going to give you three killers of listening right here. And the reason I know that these are three killers of listening because I have used them effectively all my life. I have killed so many conversations using one or all of these three techniques that I could be tried for relational murder in the first degree. So I am talking to you from experience and how to kill a conversation, how to kill the art of listening. I'm going to give this to you right now. First of all are the personal hijackers, which means that every time there's a conversation, they turn it back to themselves. If you try to share something with them, next thing you know, they're going to be talking about themselves and their own issues. When you do this to somebody else, they come to you and say, well, this is what's going on. You go, yes, I know. Let me tell you. And boom, next thing you know, you're talking about yourself. I spent a conversation not too uh, long ago with an, I probably talked to this person about um, 30 minutes, maybe more, as a matter of fact. It seemed longer, but it was probably only 30 minutes. I can tell you everything about this person. It wasn't here at this church, so don't look around and say, who was that? No, it's nobody here. This was out there in, in the world, and uh, I can tell you everything about this person. I can tell you Their nicknames, I can tell you who they've been married to. I can tell you where they've lived. I can tell you what they do for a living. I can tell you their kids and the struggles their kids are having. 
their hobbies, their likes and dislikes. They don't know a thing about me. You know why? They didn't ask. Not once. Not one single time did they say, and what do you do? What's going on in your life? Not once. 30 minutes. And any time I would say something, the next thing I knew, boom, they turned it. And it was all about them and what they were going through. Now, I could complain about this person, except that as I was listening to this individual, I could also hear the Spirit say, you know, sometimes you do this. Sometimes when someone comes to talk to you, whether you want to do it because you're, you're trying to relate to them or, or, or help them, whatever it is, you, you begin to turn it a little bit more to your own experience. What would happen if you just listened? And so I just listened for at least 30 minutes. <laughs> and I learned so much. But you know what? I can't say we had a good conversation because we didn't. And I can't say we really established a, a good relationship because we didn't. They know nothing about me. But I did get a good lesson in listening. The second killer of listening, that relational killer, is the mind wanderers. This is, the, this is the individual, and you do this, and I do this from time to time, where you're looking at someone going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and yet in, your, in your mind you're going, you're somewhere else, man. You're, you're not anywhere near here. Some of us have perfected that. So you think we're listening, and we're not. We perfected it in school. Come on, let's, let's just let's be honest. That's where we learn how to do this. Because if you weren't paying attention, the teacher would call on you. So you learn to really pay attention, but not too much because you don't want them to call on you. But you could pay enough attention that they would leave you alone while you thought of something else. And then we bring it into our relationships. It doesn't aid listening. If we're going to be quick to listen, we have to be right here focused on what someone is saying. You have to discipline your mind to listen. I know there are so many other things that are going on, so many things that, that could happen in your life, so many things that are coming up. But if you're going to give this person time, give him time. Listen. And, of course, the third killer of uh, relationships and the third killer of listening is the advice giver's. Oh, man. Boy, is, is that a, uh, that's a simple one for me to fall into. Because as I'm, as I'm listening, I'm, I'm, I want to think, okay, what should I tell you? Where's the advice? You know? But what happens is I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm thinking about what I'm going to tell you. Next thing I know, you're two or three sentences beyond. I have no idea what you just said. Because I'm still thinking about giving you advice from two or three sentences before that. There will be a time for it. There's a time to reply. But what happens is sometimes we jump in, don't we? We're not quick to listen. We're very slow to listen. We're quick to give advice. Scripture says to be quick to listen. Now, these people mean well. When they're advice givers, usually they mean well. It's just that they're not facilitating what God has asked. They're not doing what God has asked. You have to be quick to listen. I'm going to give you my time. 
The scripture, which was up here just a moment ago, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one. What it really means is this. If I'm going to take my time to listen, if I'm going to give you that time, I need to be devoted to you. I need to be in the moment. I need to listen. Even if it's just for 15 seconds, if that's all I've got to give you, then I'm going to give you 15 seconds. But for those 15 seconds, I need to be there. Because that's how we honor one another. We dishonor and disrespect when we pretend. When we look at someone, but we don't listen. How are we going to do this? Well, how about this? We, we just want to place your time in the hands of Jesus. Okay, Jesus, here's, here's my time. I've got all these things I need to do, but for the next three minutes, for the next 10 minutes, for the next 30 seconds, Jesus, I need your help. I'm going to give you my time, and I'm going to give it to this person who's talking to me. Help me listen. Scripture says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And that means even as we're talking with someone or they are talking with us, for that very moment, we need to be gentle and kind and in humility and be patient, and we will listen. And be honest about how much time you can give. Sometimes some of you will come up to me, which is understandable, and say, hey, can I see you? And I will look at you and I will say, you'll say, hey, do you have a minute? And I'll say, I have 30 seconds. And I mean that. I have 30 seconds. I'll give you 30. 31 is out. But I've got 30 seconds. What I'm trying to say to you is, look, I will listen to you for 30 seconds, but I've got something else to do. I'm right in the middle of doing something. But for these next 30 seconds, you got me. What do you want to say? And I promise you for those 30 seconds, I will hear you. Now, sometimes I can give you more than 30 seconds. Sunday morning, you're lucky to get 30 seconds, okay? That's just the way it works around here. But I'm going to be honest with you, and I will tell you, if I don't have a minute or two minutes, I'm not going to tell you that. I will tell you I've got 30 seconds. I might tell you I have a minute. And I mean, you've got a minute because I'm busy doing something else. But for that next minute, for those next 60 seconds, I'm yours. And I'm going to do my very best not to think about the sermon, not to think about the next thing or where I'm going. I'm going to give you 60 seconds and say, tell me, what do I need to hear? But at 61, I'm gone, okay? <laughs> so if it's going to take more than that, make an appointment. Come see me. I would love to listen to you. I know how to do it. I just don't do it enough. All right. Step one was be quick to listen. Step number two is this. Ready? Think before you speak. Oh, my, my, my. Wouldn't that, uh, wouldn't that solve many of our issues? Did you ever hear the, the quote from Mark Twain that says, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak so as to remove all doubt? You know? Well, there's actually a biblical equivalent, except, of course, the Bible doesn't put it in the negative. Like, the Bible puts it in the positive. But it's very similar. As a matter of fact, it's probably where Mark Twain got it. Here it is from Proverbs. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. And a man of understanding is even-tempered, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Here it is. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent. 
and discerning if he holds his tongue. You want to seem wise, learned? Just do this. People go, man, that's a deep thinker. Really, you're saying, I have no idea what's going on. If I open my mouth, I'm going to say something stupid. Just mm. When I was in uh, college, years and years and years, years ago, um, three of my professors invited me out for a cup of coffee. There was, you know, I was living on campus, and, and three of my professors, they said, hey, Doug, come on over, let's have a cup of coffee. I was a little bit of an older student, and I was a teaching assistant in the religion department, so I thought I was pretty hot stuff, the whole bit, you know. So they took, took me out for a cup of coffee there at the little, uh, little cafeteria at the, at the school, and and they're all talking about, you know, this great deep theology. They're all PhDs, that kind of stuff. And so I decided I would show them how smart I was. And I, I jumped into the conversation. And it was silent for about 30 seconds. You ever done that before? Meaning what you just said was the stupidest thing in the whole wide world. And I knew it. So for the rest of the conversation, the rest of the time with coffee, I just went, hmm, okay, hmm, yeah. Because I had no idea. I was a college student. I should have just listened, but I wanted to jump in and be wise. Sometimes it blows up in your face, doesn't it? <laughs> this is what Scripture says from the book of Ecclesiastes. The words of a wise person are gracious. The talk of a fool self-destructs. He starts out talking nonsense. And ends up spouting insanity and evil. Fools talk way too much. Chattering stuff they know nothing about. Oh, man. You got to think before you open your mouth. See, here's why thinking is so important before we speak. Why we should be slow to speak, not quick. Here it is. Verbal communication is permanent. Okay? None of this, oh, I'm sorry. I take that back. It can't be done. Once it's out, it is out for all eternity. You can be forgiven if you're speaking to someone who is gracious but you can never, ever, ever take it back. You said it. And it revealed something about who you are and where you were in the moment. And that will never change. Bible says this. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Would you read this with me, please? When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. <laughs> Some of us are talkers. We love to talk. We love to jump into conversations and we like to say things without thinking. And when words are many, sin is not absent. We say foolish, stupid, hurtful things that we can never take back because we're not taking the time to think about what we're going to say. I'm going to give you, I'm going to do you a favor, such a favor for you right this morning. Oh, you're going to love it right here. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you some of the wisest words you will ever utter, okay? Now, I want you to write these down. I think they're in your sermon notes. Please remember these. Here they are. These are the words 
Some of the wisest things you will ever utter. Here it is. Can I get back to you on that? Can I think about that for a little while? You know, it's interesting what you said to me. I, could I think about that for a while? Could I pray about that? Could I seek some wisdom on that? I promise you I'll get back to you, but I need to think about this for a little while. Why is it that we immediately think that just because someone speaks to us, we should have the answer just like that? It doesn't work that way. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but there are a couple types of people in the world. Because some are process people, some are solution side people. Process people are the people who need a lot of time to think about things. They process things, decisions, conversations. Solution side people, they want to make a solution and make an, uh, you know, kind of a, a judgment and, a, and come to a solution right now. Okay? And we need both types, particularly on boards. They drive each other crazy. Part of my job as pastor is to keep them from killing each other. Because we're on the board, of course, the process people want to go, let's think about this for the next six or seven months. And the solution side people are, no, we need to make a decision right now. If they work together, it works this way. The solution side people will make sure that you land the plane, so to speak, because process people will never land the plane. They'll just circle the airport for a long time. Let's talk about it. We need another study about this one. Let's pray. Solution side people say, let's land that plane. Process people make sure you landed at the right airport, okay? That's what process people do. They, they, they spend enough time thinking about it that when we do come to a decision and the solution side people have said, okay, let's land it, we're where we need to be. Some of you are really processed people, and yet sometimes we, we try to be solutions. Someone comes to us and says, this is what's going on, and we think, okay, I need to come up with something, when in fact, maybe the best thing you can say to that person is, you know what? Let me think about that. Let me pray about that. Do you need an answer now? I can give you an answer now, but I can't guarantee that it's going to be right. I'll just give you one. But if you give me a little time to think and to pray, to, to kind of meditate on it, to ask my father about it, maybe to seek counsel from other individuals, I might be able to come back to you with a better answer. Let me get back to you on that. How are we going to do this? Well, how about this? First of all, we wanted to place our time in the hands of Jesus. Let's place your words in the hands of Jesus. To be able to say, Jesus, I want you to guide what I say. So that when I speak, I'm speaking gracious words. I'm speaking the right words. Sometimes those words can be words of anger. Sometimes those words can be words of indignation. Jesus spoke those words, but not very often. Jesus, teach me what to say. Which probably means I'm going to say, Jesus... I'm going to take a little time to hear from you. This is what the Bible says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, <laughs> but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Jesus, I want my words to come out of here and be words that build people up, that edify, that, that add to the solution of the problem, not add to the problem or even create other ones. Some of you perhaps are so sharp and so quick-minded and so close to the Lord that everything that you say, even at the spur of the moment, is going to be guided by Jesus Christ. 
Probably not, though, okay? Probably to understand what the Lord would have you say is going to take a little time. You give time to that person as they listen, but then you give time to the Lord to say, how do I respond? What needs to be said? Okay, so the step one was uh, you're going to take time. You're going to make sure that you give time to really listen. Then in the next step, what are you going to do? Hey, you're going to think before you speak. (laughs) And our third step, if your temper has a hair trigger, engage the safety, all right? Now, I don't know much about guns. I don't own a gun. It's not that I'm anti-guns. It's just never been anything in my whole life that interests me all that much. But I do know that if it's, if it's a firearm, it probably should have, probably does, but if it doesn't have, it really should have a safety, which is, I guess, a little device that you engage somehow and then you can't pull the trigger. It's kind of a safety feature in the gun. It's a good thing to have. It's a good thing to have for your temper. Now, first of all, remember, all of us have a temper. Okay? All of us have a temper. Some of us, it takes a lot of work for us to get to that point where we lose our temper. Some of us, not quite so much. Some of us, uh, well, our, our, our tempers are pretty hair trigger. Hair trigger, I did the research. It, all it means is the trigger is so sensitive that even a single human hair landing on it will pull it. That's why we get the term hair trigger. That's a pretty quick trigger. But there are people that are like that with their tempers. If you have a hair trigger, engage the safety. This is what the Bible says. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Ah. One day we're going to preach just in the book of Proverbs because all it is is just wisdom. It's an incredible book. Ecclesiastes is another book right next to Proverbs of wisdom. It says this, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Now, I want, to note, I want you to note something. If you go back into that original passage that's written there in, in your notes, it says human anger does not bring about God's righteousness. Okay, There is a time to be angry. And if we as Christ followers are never angry, then we are not following Christ. He was angry. He got angry at religious hypocrisy. I think other things made him angry. Using God to cover up your own activities. Using God just to get your own way made him angry. There are certain things in this world that we should be angry about. Just those aren't the things that usually really tick us off. It's the things that we should learn to let slide. Human anger doesn't build God's righteousness. So let's talk about this. How do you engage the safety? Okay, Three steps I'm going to give you. How do you engage the safety on your anger if you're a quick-tempered individual? Ready? First one. Remember step two, okay? When in doubt, go back to step two. What was step two? Before you speak, what do you do? Think. Okay. That's the first step. If you've got that hair trigger, go, wait a minute. I know I've got that hair trigger. I know I'm getting angry. Let's just stop. Let's just think. 
We used to put it this way. Um, before you get angry, what do you do? You count to 10, or in some cases, 100, or some cases, maybe 1,000. I don't know. Whatever you do is before you get angry, before you really say something, stop. Several years ago, I was really angry at a group of people, really ticked off. I felt that they had dishonored my wife, and I was right. They had. This was many, 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 many years ago, and I was going to confront these people. I was so mad. I remember leaving my office at the time, and, uh, and I, as I left my office, I knew two things. I knew that, one, I was going to let them have it, and two, this was the end. That by the time I was done, I would no longer be pastor at that church. But I didn't care. Because I was going to let into them. You don't mess with my family. But somewhere between my office and that group of people, the Lord got a hold of me and said, now, wait a minute here. Okay. Let's think about this for a moment. And so in between there and where those group I've the spirit got a hold of me and said, okay, let's engage the safety here, Bailey, because uh, what you're feeling is right, but what you were about to say and do was not. There's another way to deal with it. And so um, in between there, my office and where that group of people where I engaged the safety, thought about it, counted to 10 at least, and handled it a very different way and was able to spend several more years of fruitful ministry. But that's only because there was enough time between where my... If they had been in my office, that would have been it. <laughs> I'd have been looking for another church. But my father got a hold of me. He said, you know, let's engage the safety Let's think about this. Or how about this one? Sometimes you engage the safety on your temper by just walking away. You just walk away. You just know that you're at the point. If you, if you stay, you're going to say something that you're going to really regret, and it's time to walk away. Now, I'm not saying use this as a way to run away from conflict or run away from situations. I'm saying sometimes we use this when we know that I'm out of control here. I know I am. And the next thing I'm going to say is not going to be pretty. It won't help. It won't glorify God. It's just going to exasperate the situation. It's going to make it worse. So I tell you what, before I say that, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to take a deep breath. Then I'm going to come back. You got to come back. At some point, you got to come back. This isn't running away from something. When you're ready to engage, you come back. But you use this as a way to engage your safety because you know the next words out of your mouth won't be helpful. And Scripture already told me that I need to make sure that the words that come out of my mouth are for edification, not just to rip you up one side and down the other because it's going to make me feel good. Sometimes, you know what? You just walk away. Or how about this? The final safety that we're going to engage. Ask yourself this. What's really wrong? Why are you so mad? You see, 
Anger is almost always what we call a secondary emotion. What that means is uh, first you feel some emotion, then you get angry. Okay? And now it can be instantaneous, but there's something making you upset or making me upset. I'm going to give you the three number one things that lead to anger. And here they are right here. Fear, hurt, and frustration. And not in your notes, you can write them down if you want to. In other words, fear. Sometimes you're afraid. Let me prove it to you. Have you ever, anybody ever come up behind you and said, boo, and you go, boo. And then what do you do? You turn around and go, thank you very much. I appreciate scaring me. And you turn around and go, don't do that. Yeah, you get mad. I watched my kids ride their bikes out into the street and do something foolish. Jason! Get back here! You could have been killed! He's my son. He's probably just as scared as I am. And am I comforting him? No, I'm ripping him a new one. I'm saying, why? 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 I'm terrified. I watched him ride into the street and almost get hit. I almost. By the way, sometimes if you ever read the Old Testament and you, you see God getting angry, saying to you, you know, could it be that just like any other father, he says, I almost lost you. Stop it. Fear leads to anger. Hurt leads to anger. When you get hurt, when someone hurts you, when somebody says something to you and and it hurts your feelings, you get angry. You want to confront that person. Hurt leads to anger. But there's another one. We just call it frustration. And that is the one we're going to deal with next week. Next week, we're going to take a look at what Scripture says about how to reduce our frustration and our stress. Because when you get really frustrated, you get really, really angry. So here's what you do when you find yourself getting angry. If you can stop and to think, you say, now what am I really angry about? What am I afraid of? Who has hurt me? Where's the frustration and is it justified? And we'll talk about reducing the frustration next week. You see, what we're talking about is this. You really want to place yourself in the hands of Jesus. We talked about placing your time and your words. But one of the reasons we get angry is because we're not really trusting him. We want to place ourselves right in the hands of Jesus and say, you know what? When I belong to you, I don't have to be afraid. When I belong to you, and your opinion is more important than any other opinion, other people really can't hurt me very much. Because what's God's opinion of you? That wasn't rhetorical. What's God's opinion of you? 
He loves you with an everlasting love. He may be disappointed in some of the things you do, but he loves you with an everlasting love. He thinks you're the best thing since sliced bread. He carries your picture around in his huge wallet. He probably bores the angels to death by showing them all the pictures of every one of you because he loves you that much. Does it really matter that some other human being doesn't think much of you? Now, we let it matter, but the truth is this. The most important person in all creation, the one who created you, the one who knows everything about you, that other person that doesn't like you, they don't know anything about you, this person, God has watched you from the very moment you, he loves you with an everlasting love. Why do we allow ourselves to be so hurt from the opinions of people that don't matter like that? And what am I frustrated about? We put ourselves in the hands of Jesus and say, you know what? I'm going to trust your leading in my life. And we'll talk about that more next week. This is what the Bible says. In God, whose word I praise, in God, I trust I will not be what? Afraid. What can mortal man do to me? You can't really hurt me to the point that it's going to ruin me. My father knows me and he thinks I'm great. And my father is in control of my life. And even if I lose this earthly existence, which I one day will, I will be with my father forever and ever, and ever. I don't have to fear. I don't have to be hurt. Frustration we'll talk about next week, why we're frustrated. Come on back. We'll have a wonderful time. But it all comes down to this. I just want to put myself in the hands of Jesus. So what we want to do as we end this time this morning is through what we call Selah. Selah is our time, and it just means think about it. It just means let's take a little moment and think about it. So this is very practical in what James has been talking to us about, the, how, what God has been talking to us through the book of James to say, look, one of the reasons you're frustrated, one of the ways that you're struggling in your relationships is because you're not listening. You're talking too much. You're getting angry when you shouldn't. So let's do this. Let's, let's reverse all of that. Let's say let's be quick to listen, to give ourselves the time and listen. And let's be really slow before we respond to think about it. And let's put that safety on that hair trigger. So tell me, and this one is rhetorical, so you don't have to say anything. That's what rhetorical means. You get to listen. Where in that do you need the most help from the Father? Is it the listening part? Is it the anger part? Is it the speaking part? The talking part? Right now, we're going to give the Spirit time to speak to your heart. And guess what you get? I want you to be quick to listen to what the Spirit is going to say. This isn't even a time right now that I want you to be talking to God or praying. By that, I mean praying where you speak. We're talking about praying where you don't. Have you ever thought about being quick to listen to God, being in that moment? It's okay just to be present and let God speak. We'll have the communion elements available. 
We serve open communion here at this church, meaning you don't have to be a, uh, a member of the church to receive the elements. You'll be a visitor for the very first time. That's between you and the Lord. The elements will be available right here. If you'd like to receive them, you can just stay seated. We've got a great song and video that we're going to play. We do that just so that you can sing along with it if you want to. It's called Take My Life, Let It Be. You know the song. It's the Chris Tomlin version. Jack DeMarco, great man of God right over there. If some of you need a special word of prayer, spend some time with Jack. Or the altars are open. Maybe you just want to come and kneel. But we're going to give our Father this time right now. Will those who are going to help me with communion come forward, please? And in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the